in Hebrews chapter 11, which is uh, just it's a fantastic chapter, really, really good um, application of God's history with his people. Um, so we're going to read from um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, down to 29. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ's greater wealth than, sorry, he considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on the dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you have revealed who you are, and what your purposes and intentions are. And we thank you so much, Lord, that by your grace and your kindness, you've involved us in this. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us. And we pray now, Lord, would you help us to understand what your word is saying to us here today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've uh, been following with us um, Hebrews chapter 11, you'll have noticed that faith is not just a, a set of rules or principles, nor is it just an acceptance of that set of principles and making them some sort of statement of faith that you say, I adhere to, I sign my name on the bottom of that. It is that, it is a statement of faith, but faith is more than that. And the 11th chapter of this letter demonstrates that faith is more than that. In, in fact, in the book that follows this one, in the Bible, James makes that point precisely. He says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The conclusion is, then, that 
faith in God, if it's genuine, will be worked out in actions. And that's precisely what Hebrews 11 is demonstrating for us. The writer takes a series of examples of real-life characters from down through the history of God's dealings with mankind who not only believed in God, but lived out that belief throughout their lives. We've seen it so far with Abel and Noah, Abraham, Isaac and Joseph. People who did what they did because of their faith in God and his faithfulness and trustworthiness. And we should be careful to understand this for ourselves. Faith, genuine faith, will affect the way we live. To put it bluntly, you say you believe in God, then let me see it in the way you live your life. I say that to myself as much as I would to you. If you say that you believe in God, it should have an impact upon the way we live. Jesus himself said something along those lines. In Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So, as we read through this chapter, we need to be looking not just for impressive examples of great people who had faith, but more importantly, the ways in which that belief impacted and changed the way they lived, the things they did. So now we come to Moses. It's amazing how the writer of this letter condenses a life 120 years long into eight simple verses. But we also get quite a bit more information in the whole book of Exodus, if we were to read that, and also in Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7. He gives us quite a bit more information about Moses. But out of all that information about Moses, Hebrews 11 highlights particular situations that can teach us about areas of life where we can live out our faith, where we can practice our faith. So I've got three things that I want to draw your attention to as we look at these, these verses. So the first thing that, I, that spoke to me as I looked at this was about parenting by faith. Our text begins with a description of Moses' birth and his early years. By faith, when he was born, Moses was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the first thing to notice is that this is not speaking about Moses' faith, but the faith of his parents. Amram and Jochebed, his parents, Amram was his dad, 
and Jochebed was his mother. <laughs> the Hebrew couple, they already had one son, um, Aaron, and a daughter, Miriam, and they were living in Egypt um, many years after the days of Joseph when his pharaoh, Joseph's pharaoh, was dead and forgotten. And the Hebrew people were experiencing the horrors of living under the rule of a cruel, despotic king. He felt threatened somehow by the sheer number of Israelites um, living in the land. And so he devised a plan to limit their numbers by killing every male child born to them. So we can only imagine what went through the minds of Amram and Jochebed when their third child, a boy, was born after this edict had come into play. Their belief in God left them in no doubt that they should do whatever it took to preserve his life. By faith, Moses was hidden for three months. And immediately we see how faith is lived out. Specifically, the book of Exodus shows us that Amram and Jochebed not only had faith, but they also had a plan. Let me say at this point that faith is not just for times of crisis. It's a part of everyday living, routine, even mundane stuff. Faith can be and ought to be a part of that as well. He is with us all the time. Our God is with us all the time. And that daily awareness of his presence, our walk with him, our conversation with him in the everyday is what prepares us for those times of crisis and challenge if and when they occur. So this couple made a plan. They couldn't keep their child hidden indefinitely, as those of you who have children, had children, will know that you can't keep them quiet indefinitely. So Moses' parents needed a plan. They trusted God, they had faith, and that faith also inspired a plan. You know, some people talk about faith in a very strange way. I'm, I, I was just thinking of an example in this past week when we've been thinking and praying for uh, the two twin boys that were born prematurely. And we've been praying for them. Now, those, the parents of those boys are Christians. But they wouldn't have said, well, no, we have faith. We just, we just believe that they're going to be all right. We won't, we won't take them to hospital or anything like that. We'll just, we just believe. Now, some people talk like that, you know, I'm not going to do anything about this. I'm, I just, if I've got faith, then I won't need to do anything. 
That's, that's not a true understanding of what the Bible teaches us about living by faith. These people had faith in God, but they also had a plan. The two things worked together. They must have observed the routine bathing habits of Pharaoh's daughter. If you read the story, you'll know that. And a plan was hatched by faith. When the boy was three months old, his parents constructed a floating cradle and placed it precisely in a place where the princess would find him. I, I, I grew up, well, whenever I heard the story of Moses, I just imagined them making this sort of wicker boat putting their baby in it and launching it out down the river, just hoping that somebody would pick it up somewhere along the way. But that isn't what this couple did. They didn't launch it out into the river. They put it amongst the reeds. Now, reeds are sturdy, strong plants. And so they put their baby, their precious baby, in its cradle, amongst the reeds, so that it would stay there. And it was exactly the place where they knew that Pharaoh's daughter regularly came to bathe. And not only that, they put Miriam, his sister, on guard. Now, I don't know this for sure, but don't I imagine, all right, that not only did they make a plan, I imagine they probably rehearsed this. Right, Miriam? This is where we're going to put the baby. You stay there and just watch and see what happens. And sure enough, uh, after a while, Pharaoh's daughter came, heard the baby crying in the cradle, and he was brought out. And then... Uh, the, the princess or Pharaoh's daughter spoke to Miriam, who just happened to be there, and asked if Miriam, well, she didn't ask it like this, but the next part of the plan was that Miriam uh, went to find somebody who would be a, a, a nursemaid for this baby. And Miriam said, I know just... I know just the person. So off she went and found her mother, the baby's mother, brought her back to where the, uh, Pharaoh's daughter was. And the Pharaoh's daughter offered to pay Jochebed to look after her own son. Wasn't that, that's a great deal, isn't it? A wonderful thing to see this working out. They must have been delighted because then the baby was taken back into their care. And for certainly um, those very formative years of his life, they still had influence over him. They could tell him. They could pray with him. They could tell him about their God. This is parenting by faith. How crucially important 
are those formative years in a child's life and how important it is for Christian parents to consider their responsibilities for their child as a matter of faith. It's part of our walk with God, the way we bring our children up. We need a plan, faith and a plan. From day one, there needs, I believe, to be a plan. Now, I am by no means a perfect parent, haven't been a perfect parent, but I know this is what God's Word teaches, that your life in the home, your conversation, the way in which you teach and train the children that God has given you will, no doubt, make a profound impact on the way that they will approach life, the values they will adopt, the principles that they will take as normal. And there's something to be learned in this for those who are, if you like, in loco parentis while the children are here as part of the church family. Together, we support and enrich the lives of the parents and children who are a part of us. And particularly those who teach the children here. I know you don't need me to say this, but it's worth saying. You're not, you know that you're not entertaining or child-minding. You are investing treasures into those youngsters' lives by faith. You have a plan that you're working to. We all know stories like this, but I remember one lady when, um, when I was pastoring a church over in Caversham, um, and when, when we were there, um, a couple started coming to the church, and um, they were a Christian couple. And after a little while, the, the wife brought her mother to church. Doris, her name was. And Doris, when they brought her to the church, as she, she approached the door of the building, said, I've been here before. And Doris was 83, something like that. Um, I've been here before. And they said, have you? She said, yes. When I was a child, I came here and they taught me about Jesus. And within a matter of months, Doris gave her heart to Jesus. At 83 or whatever it was. But I thought, what a great thing. <laughs> you know, there, all those years before, someone had taught her about Jesus. And here... It was bearing fruit. I know Julie often tells me about um, when she was a child and how she was taught faithfully by Auntie Daisy at the chapel and uh, at the end of, end of the Sunday school, uh, the children would kneel down and, and sing, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And uh, I know Julie has often said that at the age of four, that was a significant moment for her although it had to be, in a sense, affirmed when she was 16 years old. But that, that prayer, that simple prayer, was a seed sown. So important. So here we have an example then that caring for our children 
involves faith and it involves a plan. How are we going to do this? The second thing that I wanted to draw your attention to was um, it's in verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now from this I see the lesson of choosing by faith. Making choices by faith. Now here's a question. When, some, when is someone actually considered to be grown up? So my, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, well, he made a decision when he was 40, it says here. He took a decision when he was 40. So does that mean you have to wait until you're 40 to be grown up? There, was, there would be some people here that would dispute that. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. <laughs> um, so these verses tell us that um, he was grown up, he was grown up when a significant event occurred, when he was 40. Stephen gives us um, that piece of detail in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, that he was 40. On that occasion, Moses decided to take a stand alongside his fellow Hebrews against their Egyptian oppressors. In the process, he kills an Egyptian, and instead of becoming a hero among the Israelites, they turned against him, and he had to run away. I'm, I'm fascinated by language at times, and I, the one, thing, one, one of the things I've, I've thought about occasionally is, what's the difference between making a decision and taking a decision? You know, um, because sometimes people say that, you know, we need to make a decision, or, and then someone will say, we need to take a decision. So I, I thought I'd look it up on the, to find out, is there one that's correct or what? And apparently, you make a decision over a period of time. You gather information, and then you, you're, you're making a decision through that process. You take a decision on the spur of a moment. That's you, at that point, you take a decision. Now, Moses, I believe here, had been making a decision through the time from when he was a child, through all those 40 years, until this event happened when he took a decision. Somewhere along the years between being a child and being 40, Moses had made some significant life-shaping choices. At some point, he had realized that he was an Israelite, or what it meant to be an Israelite. Perhaps his mother told him very early on, in those formative years when she was looking after him, Perhaps he had seen the way the people of God were treated by Pharaoh, his adoptive mother's father. He no doubt benefited in many ways from being brought up in the king's palace, 
education, wealth, career prospects, status. But there was something planted in his heart also and in his mind that produced in him, I believe, a deep down discomfort. You did not make, he did not make his choice to defend this violated Hebrew man on the spur of the moment. His reaction was an outburst of something that was already stirring in his psyche. So what do we learn about faith in this? What does God's Spirit say to us here in Hebrews 11 through the decision that Moses made? From early on in this process of growing up, between being a child and being 40, we have decisions that we have to make. It was only somewhere back in the 1950s, I think, that the concept of teenager became a thing. Of course, humans had, becoming, had been becoming 13 um, old ever since Cain and Abel. But it's a relatively recent thing that we've defined this seven-year crucial period in life where some really significant decisions have to be made about education path, career, and so on. But there are some decisions, choices, that go far deeper and have a much longer impact on your life. The major one is, effectively, who am I? What am I? And why am I here? For many people, those choices set your life in a particular direction, a sort of trajectory that affects many other subsequent decisions and choices. So, um, for me, um, it, it happened when I was 17 years old. And I'm grateful that in God's mercy and grace, he stepped in and placed the big choice before me at that point in my life. Would I accept him as Lord of my life? Or will I make other choices that are more important or are more to do with what I want rather than what he wants? This is like your first step. I guess just for the, particularly for the young people here, this is like the first, one of the major steps of doing something by faith, is making, bringing God into the choices that you make about how you're going to, the direction that your life is going to go in. Moses had the world before him, fame, riches, prospects, but he made the costly, sacrificial choice of surrendering his life to the one who had given him life. We must do the same. Hand over the controls to him. And most of us have come to realize that that one decision then brings many more consequent decisions beyond 20, um, beyond 40, and beyond um, even on the way to 80. 
costly decisions. Um, but there's nothing better. I mean, I, if I can, if, if, my, if my years um, can do nothing else, they can at least say, look, I've been there, done that. My, my father-in-law used to say that. Um, something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, he used to say, um, I've been where you are. You haven't been where I am. In other words, you know, he'd got a wealth of experience um, with which he made his decisions. But they are still costly. This decisions to follow Jesus, to make him Lord of our lives. I would urge all of us to make those decisions by faith, with faith in God, all the decisions and choices we still have to make. And having referred to Moses' choices, the writer shows us that what Moses did had a prophetic element to it. In verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The writer is here, in effect, saying to his first century Christian readers that the choice Moses made was like the choice that they were having to make in their day. They lived in a world where choosing God's way, choosing to follow Jesus, was costly and sacrificial. And, and that's how it is and will be for us. Increasingly so, living in an increasingly godless culture, we are having to make choices and adopt aspects of a worldview that is unacceptable to popular opinion. It requires faith to make those sorts of choices. Jesus is Lord. It has to be a daily life-determining principle that governs us and the way we live. The third thing that came into my mind as I was reading through this passage was seeing by faith. Verses 27 and 28. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So all this training and learning and choosing takes us in a particular direction, the path that God has marked out for us. And that's what you might call an adventure. It's an interesting adventure with twists and turns, hills and valleys along the way. For Moses, his choice up to 40, took him to spend a further 40 years in a place called Midian, looking after sheep. <laughs> so he had a very exciting first 40 years of his life. The second 40 years of his life were not quite so exciting, looking after sheep. Now, we don't know details of what happened during those four decades, but we know that Life happened 
life, that's what happens, isn't it? Life happens. And no doubt he had to learn some things about life and unlearn some things. I have no doubt that he had to talk to God a lot. We read here that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, that is a strange thing to say, isn't it? By seeing the one who is invisible. We do say things like that, looking to God, or looking for God, or even asking him if we could see his face, and things like that. But he's invisible. I've read somewhere that the word that's used here that says about seeing is, is like the word, what it means his eyes were fixed. And the, the person I read, read about said that it means, it's, for example, the example they used was an artist that was painting a picture of something. And so the artist is looking at the thing that he's painting, and then he's looking at what he's painting, and then he's looking at what he's painting, and then he's looking at what he's painting. So he, when it says that he's looking, he was looking at, to the invisible. He was looking to God throughout his life. This was his pattern of living by faith. It, it was, I have to do this. I have to obey him. I have to do this. How do I do this? I do this. And so it's that looking, looking to God, letting him shape what we're doing here. That's what Moses was doing. He was looking to the invisible God to guide him, to shape his life. We are in a better position than Moses was, really. We can, by faith, look on one who was visible. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If, um, if we had our reading from Colossians, if it had gone on a chapter or so, we would have read that, that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, God's Son. And this is what the writer says in one way or another throughout this letter. Look to Jesus. Come to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We have his word, which enables us to do just that. Oh, hello. <laughs> to do just that. And through it, with the ever-present help of God's spirit, we are given the privilege of walking with Jesus, talking to Jesus, looking to him, and experiencing his guidance, his comfort, and his assured promises. This is faith. It's living by faith. It's, it's looking at him. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to do what pleases you. And there's something else that we need to notice here. And in, in verse 26, gives us a pointer towards it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It's estimated that Moses lived about 1,500 years before Jesus. But the writer here says 
that somehow Moses' life is connected with Jesus. He's showing us that the things that Moses was to do and say were for that time, but there was a prophetic element to them too. Some of the things that God said to Moses became the law that would be passed down and shape and impact civilizations right down to our day. The Passover meal had its immediate purpose in shielding God's people from the angel of death as it passed over Egypt on that fateful night. But nearly 2,000 years later, that meal took on an even deeper significance when God's Son, Jesus, used it to give his followers a simple way of remembering him and what he did on the cross. And a way in which we, a further 2,000 years later, are about to remember Jesus in that same way. As Moses kept his eyes on the Lord in his day, he was led to do and say things that had future importance and significance that he knew nothing about. And there are things that are being said to you, to me, today, or that we are hearing today, that may have a profound influence on you or me in the future. There are things that we don't know about at this moment, but God is putting stuff into our lives. He's saying things into our lives that later on we'll look back and say, oh, that's what God was doing. That's what he was saying. I'm so glad that he did that and he helped me make that choice. There are things, and there are things maybe that you are doing or saying now that will have an impact on things that will happen in the future. Your children, your grandchildren. Maybe in generations to come, the prayers you pray, the things that you said, the seeds you've sown will produce fruit that you will perhaps never know about until, well, maybe one day you get told. But I can think of, I can think of two people, this, I'm nearly finished now, but I can remember, well, I think of one man. And he just, he was a delightful man. He was a great support to me and a friend to us when we were in the church in Caversham, actually. And he became a Christian in his 50s, I think it was. And he was so enthusiastic for God. And he'd got one son, and he desperately wanted his son to become a Christian. And he prayed for him, and his son was not interested at all. And this man just kept saying, oh, I, just, I would love him to become a Christian. I would love him. He shows no interest at all. Well, that dear man died eventually and his son obviously came to his funeral and within months 
he became a Christian. And I remember saying, oh, if only his dad could see this. But his dad had done the work. He had been a testimony to him. He prayed for him. And he didn't see the fruit of that. Well, maybe, I don't know. But maybe one day he'll get told. But I think that's a good example. Is that the things we are doing now, they have implications for the future. We don't know that. We need faith for that. And we need a plan. <laughs> so we need to be putting that stuff in and praying. So living and walking by faith, constant reference to Jesus, makes our lives an integral part. You imagine this, an integral part in the grand plan and purposes of God. Wow. To think that you are where you are now because God put you here. Today's words and actions are important for us, but also for others in the future. And more importantly than anything else, for the ultimate glory of God. Let's pray together.